0: Welcome back to the Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host Brandon White. Here we go. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Edge. And welcome to 2022, and we're kicking off this year with an incredible conversation I had with Paul Ratham, who is the founder and CEO of Mod Pools a multi-million dollar company that makes swimming pools out of containers, containers like they have on ships. You're going to hear Paul's incredible story. He was diagnosed with a learning disability. He's overcome that. He started in construction, pivoted into another business that you'll hear about, and then changed directions again when he found this incredible niche in creating modular pools. Out of shipping containers. You're going to love this conversation with Paul to start the new year. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the edge podcast, your weekly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business, making you a happier, healthier and richer business owner. And here's your host, Brandon White. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brandon. How are you?
0: Good. How are you doing, man? Good. Thanks for joining today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your intro video. I've never got one of those before.
0: Oh, well, that was good.
1: Very personal. It's like uh, going to, a cru- going on a cruise and they have like your name on a little plaque when you get to your room and it's like, welcome, Rathnam's.
0: Oh man. Is that, what, is that what they do?
1: Yeah. They have like, they, they kind of personalize it and then they put a little snack on there for you when you get on the ship. And it's a little message sometimes from your concierge or whatever they call them, but. Yeah, that's what I felt like. I felt like a little welcome, uh, welcome mat rolled out.
0: Well, good, so I man. I, cu- I couldn't give you a snack. I have to think about how I can, how I can send the piece of chocolate to somebody the day before.
1: Yeah, I would appreciate that. That'd be nice. That'd yeah. be another, that'd be another level.
0: <laughs> it it <laughs> would be right
1: that in the request box. would
0: <laughs> be a whole nother yeah. level. Well, hey, man, you guys are a cool company and I actually would love to get one of these. I was trying to figure out how I was going to put it in my backyard, but. Cause I built a studio, which I'm coming to you from and took up some room, but you came up with this concept of building pools out of containers, which I want to talk about. But I was wondering how you got to this place. Did you, how long have you been doing this?
1: Oh, no, that's a good question. I mean, I sat on the idea for gosh, about a year and a half. Like I built my first prototype and then just sort of sat on it. And part of that time was R&D. And I think that was like 2015, somewhere in there. And what were you doing? Um, before, but I'm not what, totally sure.
0: What were you doing before 2015?
1: So I was modifying shipping containers for more commercial applications and industrial applications. So I was already in the business since like 2004 five, And I started out contracting for another container company um, doing their modifications. And then I broke out on my own and started doing my own work for my own customers and uh, sort of underestimated how easy that would be. I think when you work for somebody else.
0: Yeah. What does that mean?
1: Well, I think the arrangement we had was actually at the time, maybe most agreements are like this, but you, you feel like sometimes you're getting the short end of the stick when you're somewhat partnered. Like I was contracting, so I had my own company. They were in the container business. So they were, Selling containers. And then when someone wanted a door, window, office, fire training facility, whatever it was, they would contract that part out to me and they'd say, Hey, can you quote this job sort of thing? And then we had some set rates. So basically they fed me and I just had a team of guys and we worked. So I think I underestimated how I just maybe it's the Israelites with manna from heaven. Mana starts tasting a little sour after a while. You know, it's like it's free. It just keeps coming and I was making good money at the time. And I think I just sort of underestimated that jump from being completely on my own, providing my own work, quoting my own jobs, facilitating the financing for all these projects, all the things you take for granted in that kind of situation. So when I went on my own, it was kind of an eye opener and it was really difficult. You know, I think my third customer in stiffed me for like 60 grand. There was just, it was a, it was a, a bundle of, miscalculations and, and uh, mistakes, I think, really. So that's kind of how I got started in the container business. <laughs> it wasn't an easy go.
0: So w- where were you before containers or had you always been in the container business?
1: No. So I kind of grew up doing construction at some level because, you know, I was a fit kid and a big guy. And that's just sort of what you gravitate to in my end of the world here. It's just like, you want to make money over the summer, you were construction. So I just did construction jobs of all kinds, which was just heavy lifting and brute force. So I kind of grew up doing that. My dad was a pastor at a church, and we lived a pretty simple life with not a lot of money. And so you just work really hard and buy your own car and fix your own car and all those sort of kind of like grow up poor kind of things you do. And then so I kind of had my lawn cutting was maybe like most teenage boys kind of their first business you push the lawnmower down the block and solicit your services you get a couple of ladies that are nice and a few that feel bad for you and let you cut the grass that doesn't need to be cut that kind of stuff so i did that for a while and and um i learned the kind of the value of a dollar doing that you know i'd go i'd go cut a lawn and then there was these ice cream bars that i really liked at the corner store and i get 10 bucks for mowing a lawn and then the the ice cream bar was three bucks they were these really premium mint ones are so good and I just remember like parting with three of my $10 was really kind of an eye opener. I was like, Oh man, that's, this isn't, I don't want to spend my, this is not good. It doesn't feel good. You know, I got this ice cream bar, but then I had to give up some of my profits and you start kind of, so that's kind of how I started was, and then I got into selling fruit on the side of the road. These are all summer jobs, mind you. And um buying fruit from the farmers and then sitting with an umbrella, a beat up umbrella beside getting my brother to drive me in, in, flogging fruit on the side of the road and corn and stuff and
0: did you make money? Um
1: so I kind of actually it was some yeah, there were some days I'd make like two to four hundred bucks cash. So I felt like that was pretty good at at fifteen and sixteen years old. That wasn't that bad gig. I always had a goal ahead of me and I don't think I'm unique in that, but there was this motorbike this guy had in his front yard. Um so it kind of tells you the quality of the motorbike. But it was sitting in his front yard for a long time and I just kept eyeing it up. Every time I'd go to the gym, I'd hide this motorbike up and it had this shiny, it was a Honda 750 Nighthawk and it had these like silver bits on the side and it just was so cool. And I could just grease lightning. I could just envision myself getting my motorcycle license, riding up to the high school and all the girls cheering. And it would just be like euphoric to have this motorbike. So I had this kind of, you know, I knocked on his door and I I asked him, you know, Hey man, are you selling that bike? And he kind of looked down at me like, you're gonna buy it? I could, he didn't say that, but I could tell i was thinking that. And he's like, "Yeah, it's gonna be eight hundred bucks." And I was like, "Holy cool smokes, where am I gonna come up with eight hundred bucks?" And so that's when I had this idea of selling fruit. I'd heard of somebody else that did it to raise money for a missions trip, and they're like, "Oh, it's easy money, man." Well, it turns out it wasn't that easy. You got to sit there all day long. And uh, meanwhile, I don't have any permit from the city to have a business, so they're coming to shut me down, tearing my signs down, and I'm putting them back up and haggling with the farmers and anyway i ended up in like a week and a half coming up with the 800 bucks so i go knock on his door again and i just hand him the money right and he kind of staggers back a little bit looks at the money he's like where'd you get this from i was like i sold fruit inside the road and he's kind of like uh-huh okay so i bought the motorbike but i don't know where i went on that little ramp. but i guess life for me has always kind of been there's a carrot out there there's something i'm chasing and it's motivated me to come up with a plan to execute. Before the motorbike was a pellet gun, I really wanted a pellet gun. So I just, you know, and I, I see my kids going through that now. We try to culture that same. We try to skip the silver spoon and, and try to instill in our kids. the There's this passion and desire that comes from wanting something and having to work for it. And um the motorbike rides better. The pellet gun shoots sweeter. There's just there's something different about working hard and setting a goal and going out and accomplishing it. It's so much different than hey dad can I have a 800 bucks and he's like well oh yeah okay. It doesn't feel as good and I've seen the opposite of that with my friends growing up, the ones that had lots of money and got everything they wanted. So I'm thankful for that path but that's kind of you know to prelude my story that's kind of how I grew up if you wanted something you went and earned it and you figured out a way and there wasn't a whole lot of coaching and help it's like well you know go figure it out kind of thing and so so that's kind of how that that path started of being in business and then I kind of just got wise to business I'm like hey this is cool you can just come up with something and people are going to People pay you money, you know, it's like, you know, and then I learned, um, all about inventory too, because I get stuck with a couple flats of strawberries at the end of the day and they're not good the next day when you're sitting out in the sun and it's like super hot out, 100 degrees. So I, the next few people that came, I flogged those flats of strawberries, whether they wanted them or not, they were buying the whole flat. Right. And I just, you know, if I was selling, I'd sell them for five, 10 bucks a flat. I didn't care because I knew that was all money sitting there and it would be gone the next day. So. Those kind of lessons, I, I'm sure you can get an education elsewhere with the same results, but I don't know if it's quite as effective. But those are the sort of the things that carried me through to having my own business. So I'm kind of being long-winded, but you asked me what, what came before containers, a bunch of stuff like that. As a grown up, as I started, I got married at, how old was I? My 23 or four or something, got married. I had a motorbike that I had paid for ironically wasn't the same motorbike another one and my wife had a car that she had paid for and that we sold both those assets to to find money for a down payment for a house and buying a house was more expensive than building a house so we decided to build a house because it was cheaper and we built our first house made a bunch of mistakes but we ended up making like hundred and thirty thousand dollars clear and in canada there's no capital gains tax If it's your own house, you don't have to pay tax. So you can just, you can build a house, sell it with, you know, as long as it's after a year, you've got to own it a year and then you can keep all that money tax free. So it's really advantageous. So we figured that loophole out and I was like, holy smokes, 130 grand, you know, never seen so much money in our life. And then I just got on a real estate buying spree. So before that, I was renovating, building, buying, flogging real estate of all kinds. I'd buy pre-built condos. I was scrappy and, and much to the start of my story i just kind of continued that frugal build buy sell kind of thing until i kind of got this phone call out of the phone book that's how old the story is unfortunately (laughs) but this company this container company called me and said hey can you frame a shipping container and um true to my story before i just said yes to kind of everything you know can you build a bathroom yeah i don't know how to plumb but i'll figure it out right so it was like yeah, for sure I'll show up. Let's try it. And and that started this relationship with
0: that company. So you were flipping real estate. I mean, and in the United States, I think it's uh up to $500,000 tax free if you flip it into a new piece of real estate, you know, pay capital gains and you can play that game for a while. Was there a reason that you stopped? And the reason I'm asking Paul is because you hear people get into real estate and you hear how good the money is. And and technically, the money is really good. I know we used to have rental properties and leverage. When you leverage money, the return is incredible, right? As long as the market keeps going up. But why do you exit that if it was or was it not as profitable long term for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Timing is everything, as they say, and ignorance is bliss. And, and I had a combination of the two. I just had really good timing. And in life, I've had really good timing meeting my- my wife was really good timing. <laughs> I came in at the right time to marry that beauty, but everything in my life, I've had what they would, some people would call good luck. Um, I think you work for luck. You got to put yourself in a position to be lucky, I think, but real estate for me was just really good timing. I, I think other people could have lost everything. Like at one point I had my original $15,000 deposit down from that motorbike and that car and I had well over a million dollars of real estate and that was like five different properties at the time all leverage one after the other. So it was a it was a tumbling deck of cards waiting to happen there. But what what we were really trying for my wife and I, the family farm is where my wife had her uh, horseback riding business and we aspired to buy that property. It was at that time, so it was like 2006. It was appraised for about $750,000 and we arranged, we negotiated with her parents back and forth to buy it for about a million dollars just a lot of circumstances there other kids involved in that sort of thing and that's just what we had to pay for it so but we needed a quarter million dollars down payment to buy that property so again go back to the uh, motorbike it was like how do we get a quarter million bucks like i don't know how we're going to get a quarter million bucks so we just kept as we started in real estate that offered that that opportunity came available to buy that property, and we we approached them. They kind of laughed at us, like, "Where are you guys going to get the money? We're you know, a couple of young twenty year olds, right?" And you know, we just sort of took that as an, on as a challenge, and so we started exiting all of our real estate, and to the point where we sold our last property literally days before we were going to close on the farm, and then went into the notary to do the deal, and we were actually eighteen thousand dollars short. We didn't tell her parents that. But we didn't have enough money to buy the property. Um, we were just blind faith going for it. So we kind of were all in there. Turns out if you, in Canada, if you buy real estate, that's a farm from your parents, you don't have to pay property purchase tax, which ended up being about $17,000 in change. So we actually ended up emptying a few couches with quarters and we ended up just having enough money to buy that. So we had did, did a complete exit. I think actually at that time, we had one condo which was rented out long-term that we couldn't sell. But other than that, we'd exited everything. So if you look at the timing, 2006, 2007, we started exiting all that stuff. We had one condo that we sold the beginning of 2010. And then that condo dropped by $30,000 the next month. And we'd sold it for a $20,000 profit. So... Timing was just, and we, we sold that to build a barn for a uh, riding stable on the farm. So timing just worked out perfectly. So there wasn't, you know, I'd like to say I was super smart and I saw it all coming and I planned this path out. It was nothing like that. And then we just didn't have the means to get back into real estate. We were in one big farm that cost us a million bucks. And you know, we weren't going to take any risks and lose that farm. We weren't going to leverage against it and start playing that game again. Cause it was just, this was the family farm that we we're going to live on for forever. So, and then we started, um, mod pro containers almost simultaneously. So we needed about 130 grand to start that business. Well, it turns out we need more like $500,000 to start the business. 130 what? wasn't nearly enough. Why do you need all
0: that money to start the business?
1: It was kind of a capital heavy start because the land that we found to manufacture on, it's really tricky to find uh, industrial land at all, even to rent. But we found some land that we had to build the infrastructure on the land. So all of our shops came out of pocket, all of our equipment. We couldn't really get any business loans because we were pretty leveraged at the time. The farm kind of took up all of our buying power. And... Um, We didn't, we looked at taking on partners, but at that time, any partner that wanted to come in wanted a high percentage and basically wanted to give us a high percentage loan with equity in the business, which just, I never believed in that. I've always felt like partnerships are ships that haven't sunk yet. Um, I feel like marriage is hard enough, let alone being in business with somebody. I just never saw it work in my life. I just saw businesses fail all the time because of partners. So. We just went the hard way again on that one. I didn't take wages for a couple of years, super scrappy, going to auctions, buying equipment. We were running off of a generator for way too long. I just, you know, there's a, there's a series of sob stories there of just starting out with not enough money. And, but yeah, that's, that's why it took so much money. It it would have been nice to have a bunch of money at the time or a couple hundred thousand at least, or half a million would have been even better and the capital we needed at the time a lot of our contracts were net 90 or net 120 hopefully net 60 some of them were but we had to carry that money and uh so if you can compound the money you need to carry your contracts with building your infrastructure that that's where all the money was needed
0: so where did you see in your life that businesses failed because of partnerships
1: well i first saw it in in the in church growing up I don't know if you've uh, been to church or grew up going to church but I
0: did I grew up going to church on Sundays at a Lutheran baptized Catholic went to a Lutheran church on Sundays and then went to an Episcopal <laughs> elementary school wow. I went to church on Wednesdays I've had a sampling of many different religions then I went to a high school that was independent that had everybody uh, had everybody I mean every religion Every religion, every race, it was it was a boys' school, high school, but eclectic place. So I, I feel like I've gotten a good education in um, religion. So that's a long answer to yes, I've been to church on Sunday. This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text CARA at 571-271-9086. And talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text CARA at 571 271 9086. Now back to the show.
1: Okay, perfect. And you'll understand that churches are complicated. There's a a wide variety of churches and often churches start out with, um, and the reason there's so many, I, I believe the reason there's so many different branches of one baptist religion or christian or catholic is because people kind of think they have a you know they've got a better revelation on something and that hey let's go this way we're going to start our own church we're going to do things the way we want to do it because we don't agree with these guys and that's usually how it kind of goes right so i saw that growing up church divisions and splits i think in one year i was involved in four different church splits So I kind of saw this kind of coming together and great idea, good intentions, and then they break up down the road. And then I saw that in business. I saw that I worked for several contractors growing up, like I said, in construction, and I seen businesses fail. And a lot of it was partners didn't agree on which direction to go, or there was a spender and there was a saver, or there was one with vision and there was just the brute force worker. So I kind of saw that enough to, to know that that wasn't for me and I'm pretty opinionated and type a personality and I just never thought it was going to work for me. So that's kind of the reason why I think partnerships are ships that haven't sunk yet. Now, so far in life, when I look back at friends and family, I see the evidence to that as well. And I personally feel if you can make it on your own at any try to do that because the path forward, although the start is going to be harder, the path forward is going to mean that you're in the driver's seat. And I can tell you right now, mod pools would not have existed if I had a partner because it was a harebrained, stupid idea that we probably shouldn't have done. We didn't have the mind to do it. Um, we didn't have the knowledge to do it. We just started doing it because I felt like it was a good idea. And I don't think I could have got buy-in from a partner with common sense so i think there is a real underestimated value to being a sole proprietor and somebody that has vision and does it on their own i think that's underrated and again it's my own opinion and possibly the ramblings of a madman
0: well i think if you look at a lot of great companies i mean there's certainly some examples of partnerships that have worked but maybe not a partnership where it has been necessarily equal you find uh leaders oh. who find a quote-unquote partner who fills their blind spot, right? You find a, a CEO and, and a founder who has a great CFO or who has a, C, a great COO or something like that. I mean, Steve Jobs, right? He had people around him who were... He was the leader, but he had people who really filled in. Tim Cook did that. Phil Schiller did that in, in marketing when he came back with him or... You know, right now Mark Zuckerberg probably is a hot topic, but Shell Sandberg really did feel, you know, his, his weakness in, in possibly operations. So I think those sort of partnerships, I think it does get confusing when you have multiple partners. You know, what's the same, Paul? There's a story about when it was maybe Lindbergh or somebody crossed the Atlantic and, and landed in Europe and a kid ran into the newsroom and told this famous reporter, like he landed, he made it, yada, yada. And the reporter really wasn't excited. He's like, well, that's cool. Get back to me when he does it in a partnership or does it by committee. Because the point is, it's really hard to get consensus by ruling by committee. And I think that's what you mean by partnership.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And I think there's aspects of my business that definitely would have been better off. My weak points would have been, uh, would have been nice to have somebody. And listen, it's a lonely road by yourself. It's not the easy way to go. The easier way is to take on a partner, take on debt. But I think it applies a whole bunch of pressure. And I think, you know, to your point and maybe to contrast it is I wonder if, you know, I think Steve Jobs was subject to this. That vision is often stifled by a committee or by a partner and you hope you have a good partner. And I've seen it work. I mean, I've seen some partnerships that i go there's no way though that could have worked out without that partner that was but i think oftentimes you can hire a great partner you can hire the people you need you don't have to give up a a seat at the chair or a, a voting seat and equity i think you can you can have a vision you can hire for that vision and you can get great committed people i think it comes down to you can rewarding them like a partner and being generous with, with your people, I think you can get that same buy-in. So anyway, those are those are some reasons that I believe in. I think those shares. are
0: important important points. And for sure, I, I like what you said. And I think maybe I, I was trying to say it, but it didn't do well. But you articulated it better, which is hire a partner. You can hire a partner and you can compensate them that they make enough money that they feel like they're being compensated for that partnership, but you can still retain control. And I'm not a big advocate necessarily of raising money all the time. I think that raising money can actually, and I've had it happen in one of my companies, you think the problem is money because you think money always fixes the problem. But a lot of the time, money isn't a problem. And if you get money, it covers up problems. I actually worked in a big company for not super long, about a year and a half, maybe that long, before I left and went to venture capital. But at America Online, you know we were making so much money back in early two thousand, we were printing money, I mean printing money, and it covered up a lot of our weaknesses and mistakes and At the end of the day, you're riding high and then this thing called broadband comes along, and you don't own the pipe to the house and now you're renting it, and now your economics just got foiled, which you could have planned for. I only use that as an example to say that money doesn't always fix the problem, but there is a time for money, right, but in the early days, I think it it can hamper your creativity.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's a big point that I um, see as well is the baby bird's got to break out of the shell. And I think if the baby bird doesn't go through the process of breaking through the shell, it doesn't gain strength and and earn that that right to be outside the shell. And a lot of businesses, people have these great ideas, they go uh, fundraising right away. And I think you're totally right. It stifles the scrappiness and the the hard decisions—they become just too easy to make. Well, let's try this. You know, we've got five million bucks in the bank. Doesn't really, you know, like they're not as critical. Whereas it's like you look at that bank account and go, "How am I going to make payroll this week? Are we going to buy this thing, or are we, you know, going to fix this old thing?" Like that's the decisions that we always had to make, which was being lean and mean and scrappy, and it gets you through the hard times. We, I've seen in mod pro that turned into mod pools. We had all these business cycles, which a lot of them weren't in our control, which is economics of oil and gas. We were involved in that industry, whether we liked it or not. A lot of our products were going to oil and gas. And that's a very up and down industry. And it's was it been down for a long time. And mod pools came out of that dip in oil and gas that still hasn't got back. It looks like it might be climbing back now. But we had to get scrappy and we had to come up with another idea. We had to... We realized... I think if we had a bunch of money at the time, we would have just trudged through and and ignored the signs. But when you're lean and mean, I think you're more sensitive to market moves and shifts, and you're hungry right and If I was sitting back and there's many times along the way that I could have taken on investors and and fundraised, got some venture capital money and and honestly raised millions of dollars and I wonder if that would have hurt me along the way.
0: yeah, well, let's go back to this good idea that you had, and you said that you believed that it was a good idea and a partner might not have believed it. And I'm interested in that because as an entrepreneur or a business owner, you really have to believe in something. My, I think, uh, what is my quote? You have to believe you can do the thing that you're actually not sure you can do. And you need to hold those two thoughts simultaneously in your mind at the same time to get through it. And if you don't understand that, then you probably shouldn't start a company, grow a company, you should go work for a company because it, that you, you have to be able, in my opinion, if you know, haven't done it in a while, haven't done it for a while, hold that thought simultaneously in your mind. So you had this idea to make pools out of containers. Why did you believe that that was such a good idea?
1: Oh, it's a good question. You know, I started saying this early on. And this actually this saying came from a telecommunication company in our area called TELUS. And their slogan was the future is friendly. And so when I started ModPro, I had a small group of guys that I needed to get their buy-in because I didn't have partners like we talked about. And I needed people to believe in what we were doing. And so I just kept saying, hey, guys, the future is friendly. And this is meanwhile, while I'm trying to make payroll every couple of weeks and taking money from my personal account to and my other business at the time, um, which was the riding stables. And so I kind of just kept preaching that and that, that slogan just kind of kept going with me. And I was like, the future is friendly. At the time that I had that idea of the pool, business was actually really, really good. It was probably the best it ever was. I think we had a year where we did I don't know, three and a half million dollars, and that was big for us. We did a lot of oil and gas work, and we had a lot of work booked. We were building camps for uh, housing for mining and oil and gas.
0: All, all we out of that. Sorry, Paul. All of it. All out of containers. Still That's doing? absolutely
1: right. Yeah. Okay. We were, yeah. So we were building all out of containers. All business was strictly out of containers. So we were building uh, living quarters, bathrooms, offices. We were we were gaining new work. But there was this subtle shift and you know, we just talked about having your, your pulse on the, on the industry and what's going on and being sensitive to that. And there was this little shift where purchase orders were coming at with a bunch of questions that was like, well, can you do this cheaper? And is this the best price? And I'm going to get you to quote this and we're going to look over this. And it was just like, whereas before the purchase orders kind of came in like, can you do this and how quick can you do this? Now they started coming with a bunch of questions and they were a lot slower to execute. And I started feeling like looking around going, what's going on here? This is this, there's something that had changed. And meanwhile, I'd be been vacationing a lot in Palm Springs. We would kind of have these, you know, Vancouver is kind of a depressing fall winter season. It rains a lot. It'd be better if it just snowed, but it just tends to rain and get really dreary. Like it kind of is outside right now. But We ended up going to Palm Springs, my wife and I and our kids, and and the box that we always checked with Airbnb was the the place had to have a pool, and we didn't care if it was cold outside, it just had to have a pool because we wanted to be in the pool. Because to us, a vacation always included a pool, and I didn't really know that I wasn't conscious of the pool thing necessarily at that time. But after our like third or fourth trip that winter to Palm Springs and spending a bunch of money, like whether we like it or not, these trips cost like ten grand by the time you rent a house, you rent a car, you know how it is. Like if you're being completely honest with yourself and your checkbook at the end of a trip you know your intentions of having a five thousand dollar vacation often turn a lot higher than that so here we go like you know what is that 30 40 grand we spent that and and i think it was our last trip of the year there that i was kind of like this is kind of crazy like we're spending a bunch of money we're making good money in the company like i was finally my hard work had paid off i was making good money and there was money to, to to burn so to speak but i was looking at this pool and i was going like We got to get a pool. Like this is all, if we had a pool at home, we wouldn't be here. We'd be at our home, turn the heat up on our pool. And so then I started designing. I was like, man, I could build one of these out of a container. Like I'm in the container business. I could totally do this. And so again, this belief in self, this confidence that I had, you know, having a bunch of wins along the way. And I just thought, man, I can do this. So I sketched up a pool on a napkin, and it's it's funny because that same design today is our best selling pool still to date. I'm not sure why, but it we just I just what, which I, one is that? All, so that's our eight by twenty foot mod pool with a spa spa seating. So it's a convertible pool. It turns into a, a hot tub and it has a pool section too. It. So it has a re- removable divider wall. But anyway, so that's kind of where that idea came from, and then. What our business model was at the time was it was business to business. And so we were relying on other companies selling our product or using our product or finding a need for it. And we weren't in control of marketing. So we had to rely on the time of these oil and gas companies needing our product and being, being willing to spend the capex on them. So that kind of felt vulnerable going into this season of like, I can tell the weather's changing, so to speak, in business. I know that I got to come up with a product that I could sell directly to a, a consumer. I knew that at the time. I knew I needed a product that I could directly sell because we were kind of feast or famine and we do layoffs and hire and layoffs and hires as big contracts kind of came, came through. So that's kind of where the mod pool idea kind of came. There was some, there was a lot of pressure to kind of do something new and different. At the same time, I, I had a design for a house that I was going to start building in the island of Kauai. I felt like there was a great opportunity to start modular housing on the on Hawaiian Islands because of uh, the cost of construction there. And the length of construction was a big problem because when the surf's up, you can't get no contractors. They're all gone to the, to the beach, right? So I felt like there was an opportunity. So I went and at the same time, I traveled there. Um, I found a lot to buy, put an offer in. We were within a few thousand dollars. It didn't work out. My wife had no good feelings about the project. So that's when I really pulled the pin because so far in life, if we don't agree on something, we don't do it. And that served us really well. I'd say she's my not so silent partner. So if we talk about partners, I think I've actually probably had one along the way to be, to be completely straight with you. She's the one that I really bounce stuff and and she's, and she's not an easy yes, which, you know, is that Simon Kyle factor, right? We're all looking for approval from somebody who's not the easy yes or the big attaboy because it means more, right? So she was kind of like not feeling it. And, and so then I kind of went, we had built the prototype of the pool, and, and that's when we started leaning towards that direction.
0: So these pools, I was actually reading and looking at your website and studying this whole thing because a pool these days, at least in the United States, probably costs a minimum of 50 grand. And this isn't, this isn't some, I don't even know if it's 20 feet. I, I don't. Know all the pool specifications, but it's certainly not a big pool. And I've just heard the number fifty. I've I've known people have spent one hundred and fifty thousand by the time you put the whole damn thing in and put all the stuff around it, and you do all the piping and all this other stuff. And it depends obviously on where you live. If you live in California, maybe a different price because they do it more versus the East Coast of the United States where it, it freezes and you got to worry about six other things uh, with pipes and this that and the other. This thing. Looks like you just, it just, del- you dig a hole or you put it above ground, it delivers, you fill it with water and you're ready to go. Is that basically the idea?
1: Yeah, that was, that was the, the hope and the dream for this product was that we can make it really simple and self contained, which the pool industry is brick and mortar and um, literally brick and mortar. So it's a very cumbersome process and it takes a long time and our product is plug and play ready so if you've got you have basically gas and electrical are the two connections so you could be swimming same day if you had your electrical set up and your gas and your contractors there they just basically make the connections and then you're using your pool so for tv shows we've done and stuff it makes for a great tv show product because it can be set up on set during the shoot and um, actually executed in a short period of time. So that is the design. And that is one of our big advantages in the marketplace.
0: So can we talk about, I mean, that, you know, the things that stinks about pools, especially in California, is you have an earthquake, which candidly in Southern California happens more often, obviously, all, actually all the time, everything's always moving. You get cracks and then you, gotta, you get leaks and then you got, and I'm sure they put a liner and they'll tell you six things about it, but you always got to replace it. With this thing, it looks like it's generally maintenance-free. Is that is that true? I mean, how long does it last before it would leak? You know, I kind of...
1: That's, maybe it's not a great analogy, but I kind of uh, compare it to a car because there are some things you do need to do, but they're minor things. And if you keep doing those minor things and doing that regular maintenance... You don't run into big problems. We don't see leaks. The liner material that we use needs to be maintained probably more than a vinyl liner or gunite. But at a minor level, it's just kind of a yearly inspection and cosmetically cleaning it up. I think if you let it go, just like a scratch in your car, um, we are building steel pools. So you're going to get rust if you don't pay attention. And we see that, you know, sometimes dogs will get in the pool and scratch up an area or whatever it is. and, And if it's, If it's dealt with properly, we don't see issues. So I think in that regard, we don't like to advertise it as being maintenance free. Although my pools, I've got two properties with pools in them and I do very little to those pools. I make sure the water's balanced and not getting out of control. And that alleviates a lot of corrosion. And, um, but you're going to get that in any pool. Water, pool water can be extremely acidic and corrosive very quickly if you don't keep it in check when it's in check it's a very easy balancing act when it goes out you've got some extreme measures you got to take so i'd say overall that it is fairly maintenance free it comes as one structure and yeah you don't have to worry about cracking it's pre-engineered so you can use it as a retaining wall you can place it on a california is a great market for us because there's so many hills you know people don't think california is hilly it's like you got more hills than Flat spots. It's just all hills. And you can just literally dig out your hillside and plop one of our pools down. And it fits perfectly for that model. And I think that's where we see a lot of usage is people getting a bill. You know, we often get people showing us $300,000 bills or invoices or quotes, I should say, for putting a pool in their backyard, because of all the retaining that needs to happen and the shoring that needs to happen. And then you're trying to pour concrete on a slope and and everything's, you know, all your plates are shifting in California. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You keyed into some of those some of those things. And then I think our pool, we're trying to do more. When I designed the pool, I wanted it to do everything. So I wanted this pool to do everything I wanted it to do. Whereas I think pools are often a pool or you buy a hot tub. It's used seasonally. Our pools are used all year long because they're really efficient. Everything's automated and it can be programmed. It can be used remotely. So we really just tried to design something that fit people's lifestyle. We don't have deep ends, although you can order a pool deeper. We see very little of that because when how, people how deep is it? I was lifestyle to, depth.
0: Yeah. How, how deep is it?
1: Yeah. So our standard pool is four foot eight inches of water depth. So if you think of that, basically as an adult, your you know chest level drinks out of the water, um, wading around. Kids are can kind of sit on the spa end and, and rest, or they can swim in the in the common area. So we kind of, you know, we got to do some fun research and development, which was going to resorts and checking pools out, which I was able to write right off. So uh, hopefully don't get audited on that, but I think it was all justified. That, that's um, totally legitimate but, uh,
0: business expense. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I, I think, Thank you know, you. I just want to comment on that because you see the hesitation with business owners, business owners, when we do something that we like or that's fun, we feel like we have to apologize for it, and I find that troublesome because just it's this society. And I'm not you. I'm not going to go off on a total tangent here, but I am going to say this because I think there's this thing in society that thinks that business has to be hard. It has to always not be fun. It has to, and in order for you to be able to take it as a tax deduction or for it to fall on your P and L under G and A. That you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta frown, and just gotta suck. And (laughs) I totally disagree with it. I think that if you needed to go and go to some resorts to do the research, I don't know how else you're gonna do it. Like, and if it was fun, what's wrong with it? I mean, don't you find that sometimes, Paul, with business owners, that we find like we gotta make an excuse when it was fun?
1: I think you're totally right, and I think the the reward of being a business owner is you get to write your own playbook book you get to journal your own week and plan how you spend your time i mean that's the reward if we're looking at trade-offs as somebody who's working nine to five and someone who took the risk to start a business you get to go do cool stuff you know like i totally agree with you and going to those resorts we realize like you talk about depth we realized that People don't need deep ends of pools. In fact, people don't want deep ends of pools. They're a liability. Insurance companies don't like them. If you call up your insurance company and go, "Hey, I'm going to build a pool," do you think I should put a ten foot section in with a diving board, or should I just keep it all at four foot eight so I can stand up and get the kids out of the water if they need to be? They'd be like, "Well, let me let me take three seconds and say, don't do the deep end, right? Like that's just an obvious one." So. But it's against the norm because we grew up, at least I grew up with the one person I knew had a pool, right? Now I, there's so many people I know with pools, but one person had a pool and that pool had a diving board, it had a deep end and pool season started when the summer started and it ended when the summer ended. And because it was too damn expensive to heat and, and we spent all of our time on the shallow end of the pool. So again, being in control of my own destiny, I got to, to build my own pool the way I wanted it to be. I was my own customer. Right, So I got to write my pool off for my own house because it's a research vessel and completely right to do that, as you're saying. But we got to experience this pool the way I wanted a pool to be, which is I wanted it to be Uh, that depth and people are like, Oh, you got to make it deeper. You'll never sell me that depth. And it's like, well, come try the pool out. And then of course we'd have friends over and they'd be like, Oh, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, it's awesome because it's the way a pool should be. (laughs) You know, we're, we're here to hang out in the pool. We're not here to, to work on our diving techniques and join the Olympics. Like that's a whole nother program. Right. So yeah, we got to, we got to build the pool the way we wanted it. And I think if business owners were allowed to, do what they wanted to more often. They would do more they would do cool things and build cool products and I think our product resonates because because there's a lot of people like me out there that have young kids or a family and they don't want the pool to take up the whole yard. You don't want to be the Joneses with the pool. You want to have a pool, a trampoline, maybe a putting green back there. You you want to have some diversity and I think our society right now loves diversity. We love a combination of things. I'd like to go golfing in the morning. Maybe I'll go fishing in the afternoon with the kids. We're we're not so stuck on just doing one thing anymore. We want to do a bunch of things. And I think our pool is—it's a facet of people's life. It's not everything. It's not this all-consuming thing that. And so to, the decision to buy a mod pool, we have a range from thirty thousand to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars pools but there's a size kind of for everybody and there's there's um there's a real reward to having a pool in your backyard and just being able to hang out at night you know we kind of we're just doing some some commercial shoots this next week and we're focusing on fitness we're f- focusing on family and and we're focusing on ser- serenity which is just uh, and those are the three kind of shoots we're doing is focusing on those three elements of people's lifestyle and how that incorporates to having a pool so Anyway, I kind of went on a rant there, but you got me talking about pools, so I'm kind of passionate about it.
0: You said they're more efficient. So basically, you can keep these things heated all year long because it's contained and and there's some sort of insulation, and it's also shallow, which I guess doesn't cost as much money to keep warm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So water volume is a big one to start with. So we're not heating a bunch of water. Our our average pool is about 4,800 gallons, and the average regular pool, if you want to call it, brick and mortar pool, they're about 30,000 gallons. So you look at that right there, look at whatever, 25,000 gallons of difference. That's a lot of water to be heating because those deep bends, they're a lot of volume. So there's one big check mark. Two, our pools are all black on the outside. And what that does is it attracts heat. And it, it shocked me. Like I didn't, I'm not smart enough to plan that in advance. I just thought it look cool being black. But we get ten degrees of of sun radiation heating um just because it's black, which is crazy. You gotta wrap your head around that. Look, ten degrees is a lot of degrees. Well, and you get yeah, that for free just being just being
0: black. I think that's genius. I gotta tell you that it just spark when you said that. I mean, this is it's crazy, right? What you remember in your life. But I had a girlfriend in high school and she had a pull out back. And behind the pool had a fence, but behind the pool, they owned the land. And the land was it was just a big field. And it was it was in Maryland Northern Maryland. And they would pay to heat it with propane. And I, I was always and I always heard her father complaining about how much the bill was because we kept the pool warm. I mean, we it was, you know, I don't know, they had girls, so they wanted it. I'm not saying girls want it warmer, but they wanted it warmer. So, you know, the heat was yeah. always turned up. The gas bill was always a lot. And I was like, Why couldn't I put a shallow water pool out in this field with a black tarp and then just have a pump that would pump that water and circulate it and it would heat it all day long? I mean, because that shallow pool on black, like you're saying, would heat up. The water gets super hot. I mean, any shallow water on a black bottom gets hot. And now you have actually not solar like energy but you would have warm water. So anyway, that's an aside. Probably somebody will pick that idea off. I've I've had it for two decades. I I think it would work because like you're saying, and we, we actually wear the whole clothing thing as an aside, I think is really important. Like when I used to go fishing all the time in the winter, I would wear black because you don't think it makes a difference. But to your point, I don't want to say that I was 10 degrees warmer some of those days, but three or four degrees warmer makes a difference. So I think that's a, that's a huge thing, so with your pools, it's mm. the volume it's the black top, which I mean ten degrees is a lot
1: yeah, so we have the black surround, so all the walls are black, so anything that's facing, depending on how you install it, generally, there's one wall facing, not buried or not below a deck, so that's going to radiate heat, and then our covers we always um recommend a dark colored cover, so either black or charcoal, and those covers will heat the pool from the top down as well so you have these compounding factors that even in the cold Canadian winters here, it's still using the sunlight to its advantage. So that's a big factor for us. Um, the other one is we go with a, a large gas heater. So we go with a 400,000 BTU heater for most all of our pools. Now, again, that's a, enough of a heater to heat a 30,000-gallon pool. But what we wanted, again, part of what my wish list was, was to have a pool on demand. So I don't want to heat this thing all the time. I want to heat it when I want it heated, and I want it to get there quick. I want a big V8 engine. I want to hit the gas pedal. And I want to get there real fast. So, you know, when, when I proposed this idea and I asked people in the pool industry, they just said, well, you don't need that. And they pushed me on this 125,000 BTU heater. And I ripped that thing out in a couple of weeks and threw it in the garbage. I hated it. It was so slow and it made a bunch of noise and it just didn't go anywhere. It was the Prius. You know, it's like, come on, man, this thing's too slow. So I put the biggest heater I could. They're like, oh, you don't need that. You're wasting your money. That's probably one of the best things we did because now you can sit in your house and go, hey, I'm going to use the pool this afternoon, turn the heat on. And within, it's going to climb, I think on a cold day, it's going to climb 10 degrees an hour. So you know, just imagine you're you're at 85 degrees in, in a couple hours, and you're swimming. So it takes the need to have your pool running all the time off. And sure, you're going to burn a bunch of gas to get to get to that speed, but you're you're whale you're way more efficient because intentions aside, we we're, we're, you're going to use your pool less than you think you're going to use it. That's not a good sales pitch, but reality is is we're all so busy we've got all these things in our life right we're full of stuff we can go fishing we can go golfing we can go take our kids I don't know ice skating like there's all these things we can do and so having your pool just sit there heating on its own for no reason I thought was really inefficient so having that app having it controlled putting it on a schedule using it when you want to use it people find that they don't nearly use as much as they want to good intentions aside and that saves them a lot on on cost. So that was another big factor. And I think that plays into the agility of our pools because it's lower water volume. It's on an app. um, We're using an efficient heater. That combination really plays into cost savings overall.
0: Well, that's cool. And it basically, does it come on a truck or how's it? I mean, you don't ship it via FedEx. It comes on a truck and they just lift it with a crane effectively?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe one, one day Amazon will drop them off. Well, well they, we'll they, they have tiny, service. they sell if tiny If you're you can call me. Yeah, they have tiny rooms. Yeah, maybe, maybe they want to call me. Maybe they want to call me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm available. Shoot me an email. But, um, jokes aside, you no, know, right, right now it comes on a truck and then the customer's responsibility or the contractor. And we recommend, again, to keep the cost down, we recommend landscapers get involved. It's a very simplistic system. And basically you have to have a level. Um, base which is gravel or concrete depending on the side of the pool and what you want and then basically you crane that in place confirm its level and take the straps off hook up the gas and electrical so it's pretty simple you build a deck around it of course and finish it but it comes on a flat deck truck which we ship from our factory in canada and we ship to most every state well we do ship to every state and then all of canada from our factory here in abbotsford and then basically, there's a crane or a forklift on site waiting. the The truck pulls up, they offload it. The truck drives down the road, and away you go. So, that's how simple it can be.
0: Yeah, well, that's really cool. And you have them in a whole bunch of sizes and configurations. I saw. I mean, someone could easily put a lap pool in their backyard with the length. I think you have a forty footer, don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we're building a fifty foot pool right now. Um, we've got. We just broke into the commercial swim school industry. So we have our first two pools being built for commercial swim schools, which is an industry that's starving for some innovation and cost savings. I could bore you with the details of that. But basically, in a nutshell, they are forced to use community pools because the cost of putting a regular pool in is so expensive for what they need as a commercial pool. So it took us a year with a really dedicated swim school out of Ohio. But We've got uh, the state approval to build their pools to code out of our shipping containers. And we're really excited to break into that market because it allows them to now rent a warehouse, put these pools in and take and take and grow and build their business because they're really restricted to how many students they could have based on availability.
0: Oh, well, that's really cool. How are you doing sales now? It sounds like you're going B2C mostly. How do people find you? Are you marketing on your website or I mean, how, how do people find you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we do a variety of marketing. We try not to get stuck in one, one avenue. Um, but we do find Facebook is a big one for us. Instagram is also really good for us. We don't find much success with Google ads. I don't know if that ship sailed for other people too, but it just doesn't seem like the cost trade off is there. And then the other one for us is, is we try to do a few TV shows a year uh try to get involved with HGTV or a nat- network and something they're doing and we try to I think people respond to brands that they've seen a few times and they build uh you can build trust like that so you know we do marketing campaigns clicks paid ads that kind of stuff but our product has we've had a really great start with our product we got to work with Nike Disney HGTV um bunch of really cool brands that really elevated us immediately. Like it gave us cred- credibility early on and it was free essentially. I mean, there was some trade-offs, of course, but then we got to do like an American Ninja Warriors pool in Las Vegas for their final a couple of years ago. Just really cool opportunities like that. And I think consumers, again, if I look in the mirror, I'm looking at our audience. So it, it's, it's been kind of cool. Like I built the pool I wanted to for myself and the marketing. I just look in the mirror and go, what would I want? to see? And how would I respond best to to marketing? And I think often, I mean, we have the luxury of doing that. I think if I was, you know, selling other lifestyle products, I think it would be different. But this one, I'm who I'm marketing to business owner, somebody who's got kids, young family. So in that way, it's kind of been a natural fit. And I think oftentimes the businesses that we should be in are ones that are natural fits for us and things that we love. Because we're going to put in the, the long hours. We're going to spend the late nights. We're going to be committed to the cause. And it's an, it's a natural thing. I'm sort of phasing my way out of being the face of the business because I think it's restricting. So it's, it's kind of humbling, but I've got to kind of get out of the way of where it started. I was on Instagram shooting videos myself all the time with the dirty shirt and running around the shops and traveling around the country and. So we are trying to grow up as a brand a little bit to be less of that lifestyle brand and more of going concern, I guess, or more of a corporate feel. So we're, we're doing things a little different now because we're growing to that capex or that capital where we're, we're needing to just be a little bit of a different brand, but you can't forget the secret sauce that got you there. And I think we all have our own secret sauce, the things that we're great at and the things that make our businesses great. And I don't ever want to lose sight of that. Um, we are who we are. We're, we're real. We try to be humble. We try to be generous and we try to have integrity. You know, you talked about, you know, in our pre interview, one of the notes that came through was what are three things that I forget how you worded it, but that are really integral to your business. And I think those are the three things that I would highlight on, which is I think that that people can sense that. And in, in today's marketing and today's age, I think we really have to be real. I think people are looking for authenticity. And I believe in my brand. I live my brand. I am inspired by my brand. And I try not to get in the way of my brand and make it all about me. And humility is, is it's a hard one because you've got to really walk it day in, day out. And being real is often really vulnerable. But I think people want to see that. Cause again, what do I want to see? When I look in the mirror, who do I want to buy a product from? I want to buy a product from a company that I believe in. And so, and that, and that has integrity and that does some good. That's generous. You know, I think we often overlook how you start is how you finish. And if you start off being a generous company, giving to your community, you know, letting people be right when they're wrong is often part of being generous as a brand. So I think generosity, you know, being real, being humble and having integrity is what you do when no one's looking. What you do when you know you can get away with not doing the right thing. I try to teach my kids when we're cutting up the cake, take the smallest piece, give the biggest piece to your friend or to, you know, save it for the next person. And those are the little things that add up to the big decisions in, in business that make you a moral company with integrity or an immoral company. With lack of integrity, so I don't know. I kind of went on a rant there, and I think I might have stole your thunder on your questions. Sorry about
0: that. You didn't steal my thunder. You're running the show, man. Making my life easy. I just, you, <laughs> I, 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 I'm grateful you you watched the video and knew it was coming. There, HPTs high percentage tips. So there you go, listeners. Paul already dropped them on you. I didn't even get to tee it up. Best guest I've had ever yeah, I, to do that.
1: Well, I, I I appreciate your podcast. I've been listening to it. I'm a real. I want to say I'm a sucker for, for good podcasts about business, but I just kind of gorge on good business podcasts that come from a real place and talk to real people. I've been successful in this business, but I could have easily been unsuccessful in everyone's eyes. And I think we measure success in a lot of different ways. We often measure success by how many houses someone owns or how much money they have, what kind of car they drive. I think I could. you know. There's many different paths. This one got me here to a multi-million dollar company with a lot of runway and a lot of potential. That didn't have to be the case. I started off, I missed the part where I was a truck driver for a few years. At at one point, I had four different jobs in one year after I was married. So there's a lot of different paths that I could have got to. But this one got me here. And I'm really thankful for that. And I just don't want to be somebody who I'm not because I'm successful and because my business makes a, bu- you know, makes, makes a bunch of money.
0: Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing, but you know, you seem like you're grounded and, and you got a great business. It's a really cool product. I actually seen your ads on Facebook. I don't know how you're targeting and I didn't click on them because I know it costs money to do that. So I think to you. Sp- spend money that didn't <laughs> need to be spent. But I assume you're doing some sort of lead magnet or something, right? Like, hey, what's the five things you should look at when you buy a pool or something like that on that?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean we we've got a really great marketing guy too. He's he's invested heavily in the company. He does a great job. And and you're you're exactly who you want to sell a pool to, though. So, Clearly. So
0: the market is working. The algorithm. Well, I was like, <laughs> uh, and, and when I heard about you, I was like, am I going to talk to this guy who's got this mod pulse thing? Because so I've seen this damn thing all over. And, and and it wasn't like I've seen it just in the last days that whatever was monitoring me on my phone. I mean, I, I've seen it for months and um can't remember exactly it, but that that's the point about marketing, right? Is is that I just wanna say that it sounds familiar and then I'm gonna dive in, no pun intended. So yeah. you've done a great job. And and listen, man, I take really appreciate you Taking time out of your day from selling and building mod pools to join us today and share your story.
1: Yeah, Brandon, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and and uh, thanks for letting me talk. It's really enjoyable to just be able to share your story. I, I think you know we love talking about ourselves. We can't help it as human beings, and and so I hope that wasn't too indulgent. But I, yeah, I enjoy sharing the story, and um, my story is still being written, and I've got I've got a fun chapter ahead of me next that can't talk too much about, but you know i'm just trying to i'm trying to live live all my dreams and and i i think you can live all your dreams i think you can you can set a goal and you can work really hard and and get there and there's nothing sa- as satisfying as that it can't be replaced it can't be given it can't be borrowed or taken there's something that is so rewarding about earning something yourself and making something happen and working really hard to, to, to achieve a goal. And you see it in marathons. You see it with athletes. Winning is, is there's nothing like it. We all want to be winners. Winners, you know, it's, I got addicted in high school to winning in sports and I love, I hate losing and I love winning. And that's what business is for me. It, it's, it's a fun way to, to set a goal and achieve something and to win. And I've set some crazy goals you know, this year, at the start of this year, I I said to our staff, I said, I want to sell a pool a day, I want to sell 365 pools. And I, I just pulled that, I'll be completely honest with you, Brandon, I pulled that out of nowhere, like based on nothing based on no track course plan, inspirational guru comments, like nothing, there was no game plan to get there. I just threw it out there. And I've done this a few times in life where I've just planted a seed as crazy as it is and just put it out there and i believe let me go back to church and i don't want to get too you know philosophical on you but i believe we're in control of our own destiny and i believe god said we're created in his own image and i take that literally to mean that we can create like a god can create we are in some ways in god's image we're a god and we can speak something it starts out with a thought and then it comes out as as a verbal thing and when we hear things we start to believe them and if we're crazy enough we'll start to believe these crazy visions and dreams that we're having we'll speak it out loud other people will catch the vision and this year we sold 334 pools and that's darn close to 365 i never thought we'd even get close to that number and and so yeah we didn't get there completely but i mean you still have have october
0: november and december
1: well, our our fiscal our fiscal year is from September thirtieth to September thirtieth.
0: Oh well that was damn close so, I mean it and yeah. you pulled that in nowhere I mean, so I'm, congratulations it, it, on that
1: yeah, thanks, man. and it was just one of those things that we just and then we worked real hard to get there but my point is is like you know don't be afraid to to dream a bit. And to come up with some crazy inspirational goals and shoot for them, and uh, I'm sure if I talked to you long enough, you would tell me some open your book of of dreams because you seem like a driven, passionate person, and and I think we all have that in us, and I would I'm I love to see people open their ability to create and dream and innovate and open open their mind up a bit and and speak something crazy into the universe because we start attracting like things we start things start happening around us when we're on a course and i've got a i've got a poop rainbows every day in my company i'm the guy at the top you know i usually say it a different way but i'll keep it pg and i've got to be the one because everyone's watching me i got to believe it and if i'm not drinking the kool-aid and i don't believe it, it's not going to happen and so i think you know I think people often just need to step out and face a little bit and say something a bit crazy and have a dream. And maybe that dream is to be a pilot or maybe that dream is to start a coffee shop. And whatever that dream is, if you're living your dream, you are going to be fulfilled, passionate, full of joy. The the, the bad times aren't going to seem so bad and the good times are going to seem better than ever. So anyway, I'll digress no, here. I think that's, a, I'll I think that's
0: awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, What would the Paul who was standing on the side of the road selling fruit back then think if you told him that the bigger Paul, older Paul was going to be building mod pools and killing it?
1: Yeah, I don't, you know, I thought about that. I saw some old pictures the other day and I thought, man, I know there's a lot of struggles I had as a kid. I had learning disabilities and I failed school miserably and all these kind of things. I could bore you with these stories. But yeah, I wish I could go back to that. That guy and that insecure kid that was chubby and just be like, hey man, things are gonna work out. You know what you've got is drive and passion and hone into that. Just focus on being driven and things are gonna work out. You know you're gonna marry a beautiful woman and you're gonna be su- successful, right? Amongst all these uh, negatives and um, yeah, I don't know, it's crazy. You know, I just recently got my c- commercial. Helicopter license. I took this last year to get that done. So I kind of worked three quarter time, half time to make that happen, that dream happen. And that one for me has just been a game changer. I never thought I could do that growing, you know, having the learning disabilities and being so far behind in school for a multitude of reasons. I never thought I could be, you know, go through a commercial course and, and pass the flying colors. I just never dreamed I could do that, but I always wanted to be a pilot. I was, you know, I dreamed of flying. And now I get to fly a helicopter around and, and, and I have my license. And it's just so amazing that I get to do that. Every time, it doesn't even feel real. You know, it's just, it feels like a dream. So I, if if I can do it, trust me, anybody can do it because there is no, I've got nothing extra special about me. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, my grade seven, my grade four teacher said to my mom in a parent-teacher interview, lower your expectations for Paul. He's either going to be a janitor or a bus driver. Now, I fulfilled one of those things because I became a truck driver, so that's pretty close.
0: <laughs> it, it's but, all, it's not that awful what teachers say, isn't it? But that's awesome well, that you got it, your... It can be, it, yeah, I,
1: I think the, the other thing is, and I don't want to interrupt, but people's words can become reality in our life if we let them. They can be gods in our life and and dictate our future by the words they say. And I've had a lot of negative things said about me, and probably rightfully so. I was a bratty kid. I didn't pay attention to school. I had learning disabilities, and I compensated by trying to be a wise guy and crack jokes and and get attention that way because I wasn't getting it at home and blah, blah, blah. But I could easily have focused on that and and those negative things. But we've got to look in the mirror and and, and speak positively about ourselves because we're going to start believing it. And when you start believing it, look out because... Around you, the people around us are, are people just like us. No one's, you talk about Steve Jobs and some of these, these crazy successful people. They're they're regular people too. They got two legs, two arms, one head. They look just like us and they can, you know, we can do what they do. There's nothing holding us back but ourselves. So yeah, just, just being able to, to cross that bridge myself and get my pilot's license to me was just, it's, it's a small thing to a lot of people, I, I think, but to me, it just it's just something I never thought I could do, and it was just so rewarding to pass that course and and to be successful. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah, flying a helicopter is hard. It sounds like an R twenty two or forty four is in your future.
1: Yeah. Well, I ended up with an A star. I ended up buying an A star, and because uh, I wanted the family to be able to fly fly around in it, I looked at the forty fours, but the, the, the this capacity and the so we we ended up getting a um an A star, and that has just been. I mean, it's been a game changer, man. talk about living a dream it it's being able to just get up and fly wherever you want to go. I love fly- fly fishing. It's a passion I had as a kid, and I get to relight that passion and drop into lakes and rivers and stuff that you can't you can't de- even hike into because they're too far away so yeah it's been that's been a a big box that I've been able to check in my life it's it's been pretty pretty awesome,
0: yeah, well, I'm envious of that as a fellow fly fisherman. Yeah, you know, that's why I originally gotten to fly right. myself was the, was to fly the Chesapeake Bay in the winter when the water was clear. So I could see all the holes and I started flying a mall flow plane. And, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I flew an amphib that my friend had and, uh, I loved the mall seven. It was slow. It was a dog, but we flew the entire coast some days from Virginia beach all the way up to the, um, base that I forget where they launch rockets and stuff out of, but it's a, it's a base and can't fly past there, but we would fly that thing at like five feet. I saw shipwrecks from, you know, the 1800s that people just, you just don't get to see because you got to drive and walk and do all that sort of stuff. But in the way of fishing, yeah, I would fly around in the winter and then I'd mark the holes. And then, you know, when the, the Chesapeake Bay gets, the water has algae and stuff in the summer and, I knew where the holes were and that's how I originally got into flying. And like you said, like being able to fly somewhere, we used to go to lunch and you probably do it in the helicopter. Like, Hey, let's go to this place and have lunch. Right. And you just fly yeah. there and you yeah. have lunch at the FBO or whatever the, the airport is. So that's, that's really cool. All I'll say is make sure you get instrument rated if you're not, because I just worry about that. Uh I know how important that is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I- I did the commercial course because I wanted a higher level of of education and I'm glad in the, it was a 100 hour re- requirement here and uh I'm just so glad I was able to do that because that really prepared me. I felt very prepared by the time I was done that course. But yeah, IFR, um night night rating stuff like that, those are on the on the list of uh of the things to, to get done as well.
0: Well, it sounds like you, you alluded to earlier that you got some other things in the works that you're not willing to talk about yet. So it sounds like we need to have you back on and it's either going to be mod poles, mount houses or mod something that you're going to uh, build to expand, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last one was mod a- aviation. So that's been a uh, registered business now. So that one's done. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've got some, I've got some exciting things in the works and, um, I just want to keep being passionate and keep keep dreaming and uh yeah
0: well we'll have you back on in a few months when you're able to uh when you're ready to talk about what this new thing is drop me a line we'll have you back on and we'll talk about how mod poles is doing and maybe i'll have a mod pole in my backyard i as i was listening to you today i was trying to figure out i don't have a live here in half moon bay and we don't have big yards in california in general especially here at the beach but they put my well right in the middle of my backyard, because clearly they were lazy and just drove the well truck back and drove well. So I got a well in the middle of my yard, which causes some slight problems. As you were talking earlier, I was thinking how I can reroute the plumbing that goes directly into the house. So I'm going to have to figure that out. I'll have to work with you offline and see what might be possible. Because a 20-foot pole, I could probably make work somewhere like Right. I, and I wanted something that had colder water so I could get out of the sauna, I could jump in. So I, I got to yeah. figure it out.
1: Well, happy to help. And if you're ever in the area, ha- happy to take you fishing.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to um, take you up on that for sure. I think we're going to do a podcast tour. I'm, I'm building a hot rod Jeep, which was my original CJ7, 1984 CJ7. And um, I had it rebuilt into a hot rod or almost rebuilt. And we're going to do a podcast tour across the country, so I'm going to drive up there and and uh, see you on the on the way somehow.
1: Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'll take you up anytime. Just uh, say the word. I've got some great fishing holes here. So, and I'm exploring. So,
0: uh, yeah, right yeah, on.
1: And uh, maybe I'll I'll have to fly over your backyard. Uh, justify that. Maybe write that off.
0: Right, come on into trip. Half Moon Bay on a clear day. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say to you. <laughs> we got bogged, but yeah, it's listen. Listen, Paul, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day, -day. Dave. It's been fun talking to you and I can't wait to to talk again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Brandon. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it.
0: Bye, everyone. Thanks for being generous with your time and joining us for this episode of The Edge. Before you go, a quick question. Are you the type of person who wants to get 100% out of your time, talent, and ideas? If so, you'll love our monthly Edge newsletter. It's a monthly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business. In each newsletter, we pull back the curtain on our business and show you exactly what's happening. The real numbers, real conversion rates, lessons learned from failed and successful strategies, and how we're investing the money we make from our business to outperform the general stock market. We lay out what we're doing to get 75% conversion rates on our product pages, How we're optimizing our Facebook, Instagram, and other paid ads to get our leads under $3.87. The results from our email A-B tests. Results from strategies I test to get more done in less time. That allows me to ride my bike 100 plus miles a week, work out, spend time with Yvette, and still successfully run our business. How I'm investing the money we make from our business that has led our retirement account to average 20% over the last 10 years. The exact stocks, ETFs, cryptocurrencies, and other investments we're buying each and every month. And tons of other actionable information. Imagine the time and money you'll save by having this holy grail of business intelligence. You can take all of it, apply it to your life as an entrepreneur to avoid costly mistakes, and be happier, healthier, and richer. As a fellow entrepreneur who's aiming for nothing short of success, you owe it to yourself to subscribe. Check out the special offer with bonuses for you as a listener at EdgeNewsletter.com. Again, that's E D G E newsletter.com.